passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We are live. Live as live uh, comes at you every single week. It is the Cafe Hangout, and I'm John Pollock, along with Waiting. And are we live, Way? We are live now. Yes, absolutely. Yes. This is take two. For people who have not, not uh, who didn't hear our first take, we're trying out uh, some slightly new streaming technology. You guys won't know, notice a difference, but um, anyway, sorry about the false start, John, but uh, we got a big show coming up. Welcome, everybody, to the Cafe Hangout. It's John Pollock and Waiting with you. We have a very exciting edition of the show. Later on in the program, we will be joined by our good friend Damian Abraham, who, if you thought his head was big before, I can't imagine what it is on this Thursday. Glowing reviews for the debut of The Wrestlers on Viceland, and we were smart. We got on the Damian bandwagon early on, and we locked him into a very restrictive contract that he will have to appear on the Cafe Hangout every single Thursday as long as The Wrestlers is airing. So he'll join us a little later on to chat about episode one, uh, which covered Evolve last night. That Rolodex of names is about to get really, really, really big that he'll start mentioning, I'm sure. I can't wait. I can't wait for all the new names that are going to end the uh, enter the, the Damien Abraham uh, name dropping uh yeah potpourri that's right yes uh some people commenting on the message uh in the chat room we have switched sides that is among the biggest changes here um reason why have we changed sides well i mean i i hate to i was just told sit here i hate to break the the fourth wall or here or anything like that but it's really not that exciting of an idea john typically sits on that side anyway because there's a tv here he watches all of his shows that he takes notes for from this side anyway, so what sense did it make for me to have to switch sides with them every single week? Not that exciting. Sorry. Well, uh, can I get into some of the, uh, the the streaming issues that I will have? So I will watch Raw on Sportsnet 360, or I watch it on Sportsnet Now, which is their streaming service. But if I'm tuning in late, okay, and I go, say it's... Say it's 8.30 p.m. and I'm starting at the beginning of the show and I go to cast it to my TV, it will pick up where it is live mm-hmm. and not back at yeah. the beginning. This is a very um, particular problem that I think only Canadians will, will, will understand and also those who subscribe to Sportsnet now will understand. Okay, but I'm, I'm an equal opportunity of offender here. Uh, you know, uh, here in Canadian media, it's like, oh, you you can't. It, you got you got to pick a side. Well, not me and me and way. We are as independent as it, as it gets. TSN's streaming player, even worse. You cannot rewind on the TSN streaming player. Mm. So if I am tuning in for the UFC prelims and I am a half hour in, there's no going back. Sure, there's no rewind. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure it's a limitation with the technology. Um, Come on. You know, it's silly. Or maybe it's... Sportsnet, I can rewind. Maybe even the WWE Network you could rewind, you know, within, yes. within reason. I, 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 mean, I actually don't know any other player that you cannot rewind live programming. Perhaps they, they want you to watch live commercials. Maybe their live stream is only supposed to be their live stream. I'm, I'm really not sure, but... I think that's a major... Is it going to stop you from subscribing to it? I'll tell you what, though. If I'm late to watch, um, if I was just watching something for leisure, uh, I'm certainly not going back. And it's really annoying for me if I'm uh, trying to, if I'm late to get to the prelims, which are starting at uh, six o'clock. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to have that uh, luxury. I mean, it's 2019. You should be able to rewind on a streaming player. No, these are like, I think beyond first world problems. Literally days. we can do the people that are in the chat room right now can rewind the video. We are using YouTube though, which is, uh, okay. Well, the hey. most adva- I mean, maybe TSN should just go on Google Hangouts and start live streaming their video. But all right. Well, on today's show, in addition to Damien Abraham, we are going to be taking your phone calls 732-800-4423. As well, you can search us post-wrestling on Skype if you want to Skype in. We're going to be taking your phone calls about Owen Hart. If you want to uh, ask any questions about the documentary we have put together, those will be open as well. I'm going to go through some notes about uh, putting it together. And we've also got some questions on the forum uh, regarding uh, said documentary. But we can start there, Wait, that today is the, the 20th anniversary of i hate to use the term anniversary it's obviously nothing um celebratory about this date but it does mark 20 years since owen hart passed away an enormous story that night in 1999 and in wrestling one of the biggest stories ever where were you that evening i was not watching the pay-per-view i think i was just kind of out and about and then uh this was also a time when you know we were like experiencing the attitude era wrestling was kind of like permeating throughout my entire high school everybody was kind of talking about it everybody knew who owen hart was everybody you know this came at about the same time as the rise of you know steve austin and and the rock and dx and everything so people were watching wrestling all throughout my high school and this news just kind of hit to me probably through icq honestly is like where where i kind of maybe first heard about some of this stuff where people were just like talking about hey like is this real um did this really happen i ended up seeing the story reported that night on the news and that really kind of needed to tell me all I needed to know. Um, news corporations, legitimate news sources don't pick up wrestling angles. And uh, for not for a second did I believe it was. And it was incredibly sad, incredibly tragic. You know, this was a not just a not just a wrestler I've been following for uh, many many years, but also um, a Canadian wrestler. So that that aspect of it, I think, somewhat made it made it that a little bit more personal. You know. Um, but my first questions were, wow, uh, uh, why uh, and how? Yeah, I was watching the pay-per-view. I was watching it with my brother. Um, and I remember my, my family was out that night because it was a long weekend here in Canada. I think my parents had taken my sister to Canada's Wonderland for fireworks. So him and I were watching the pay-per-view and I totally understand people's reaction that when it first occurs, you're wondering is this this real it's a natural question to have in professional wrestling and given what the wwf had done at the time like different angles and such this you know i'm sure there was that hope that this is just some terrible angle that they have done i don't know if it was just the gravity of hearing jim ross in that somber tone that i'm never gonna forget i didn't question the 
legitimacy of it for a second. It felt instantly that it was something serious. And I, for the life of me, I will never forget the feeling of when that announcement was made by Jim Ross on the pay-per-view that he had died. And whatever um, hope you had that it was that it was going to be a horrific injury. And when he announced that Owen Hart died, it was, you know, you had an hour of this awful feeling in the pit of your stomach of this man's health and his well-being and dreading the worst and Jim Ross confirming it on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after that, just immediately you're searching any kind of answers and further context to it. And I remember that it was, uh, it was running on all major news programs in Canada where, you know, it's Owen Hart is a very well-known figure. The Hart family is very well-known. And then I just remember that night staying up till that was when the law came on at 1 a.m. instead of 11 p.m. And remember staying up and listening to that show until three in the morning, which I, again, it was, I, I thought it was the best coverage that night that, that I heard where they were able to get uh, wrestlers on. They had Dave Meltzer on that night. And that was kind of the where you were getting the most um, news coverage, a two-hour dedicated uh, program dedicated to Owen Hart's passing. Yeah, I vaguely recall listening to the show that night as well. And um, I think it's, you know, in a, in a time like this where you didn't really have wrestling podcasting, but to hear people on the radio talk about the subject, I think it was at least somewhat comforting, you know, to, to hear other people kind of talk about something that, you know, was was incredibly hurtful to anybody who might have been a fan of Owen Hart. Yeah. Yeah. In a, a trivia note on that episode of The Law, uh, one of the callers, uh, it was when Jeff Merrick and Donnie Abreu were hosting the show. One of the callers is Jason Agnew. Wow. He called in on wow. that show because um, that was just before, I guess, he had started with the show. So... Um, do you want to talk at all about the the documentary? I feel yeah. I feel very. Uh, I'm not trying to put like a. No, no, no. You shouldn't. I think um, first of all, thank you to everybody who sent uh, kind words about the documentary. But again, this was you know um, the work of one man, and that's the guy sitting across from me. So I I'd, I'd love to ask you from my perspective, just yeah, like sure. how at what point you decided to start the project, um, and. Yeah, like 20, 20th anniversary is obviously coming up, but like what what did you initially intend to do and did it turn into what you ultimately wanted? I guess, I guess I had the seeds of an idea just knowing that the 20-year the mark was coming up and it was probably around mid-March. I think it was like before WrestleMania that I started to kind of in my head just think of like, because at the beginning, it's just trying to think of like what what can I add to this? What Who could I speak to that is a, a different perspective? And it wasn't until after our WrestleMania trip that I, because I knew as soon as I start lining people up, it's, it's real. Like I really have to do this. Like it's, it's a very intensive process to have to go through this. And I knew as soon as I did the first interview, well, it's like, now I have to do it. I have to uh, do this. And um, so the first, the first person I reached out to was Jeff Merrick. And once he confirmed, that's when I kind of had the, uh, my mindset was, okay, I, I'm really doing this. It's not just like a theoretical idea. And I did not know how big a, of a thing it was going to be. My idea was 20, 25 minutes. And I initially didn't even know if I was going to do any interviews for it because I've done them in the past where I kind of like being able to just go back and see coverage at the time and try and use these clips to kind of tell the story, how it was covered at the time. And I mean, selfishly doing 
uh, added interviews, it's just, it's really time consuming. I had to take uh, days off work to be able to work around the interviews and just planning them. And it just became a very big process. And initially, (laughs) I didn't tell you this, I was going to try and do this entire thing and then just send it to you cold and be like, can you listen to this? <laughs> and I was, I just wanted to get ways, uh, ways unfiltered reaction, but it just, it grew into so much more as these things tend to uh, grow into that. I, I desperately needed feedback from way. And you say it's one person, you helped me quite a lot of dealing with stuff I was doing throughout all of this and getting your opinion on certain things because I, the week I took off was dedicated to editing this, that Monday and Tuesday, that Monday was my lowest point that I seriously, I was, uh, my mom was here and I'm editing this thing and I just tell her, I'm like, I don't know what I got myself into because I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like I have all this, this interview material and now it's trying to make a cohesive story out of this. And there's like the music element to it as well. And that Monday I probably edited for 10 plus hours straight and it's one of those feelings where at the end of it, I just, I had to stop because I'm like, I'm not even, I don't even know if I'm doing good work anymore. I'm so drained on all of this and I just need to step away. By Tuesday, I had a much better feeling by the end of it that I have at least gotten kind of a a skeleton in place and have gone through all the clips and stuff. But it was, it, the editing process was enormous. I had to step away for a day or two just because it was uh, I was not even thinking straight. Can you talk a bit about how you chose the subjects that you ended up using? Sure. Um, well, Jeff Merrick, like again, I thought that law episode was uh, among the best they had ever done. So I really wanted someone that covered it in real time. So Jeff was, the, as I said, the first person I went to. And um, also, like it was right when the NHL playoffs were beginning. So I didn't even know if Jeff would be able to spare um an hour to chat with me and I ended up meeting him at the CBC building and we just banged it out in the lobby and yeah you know he was this is like he was going over all the stuff that he had going on and I was just I I couldn't believe he had 30 minutes honestly to to chat with me so Jeff Merrick was the first um then I, I definitely wanted the perspective of someone who was in the crowd who was in the arena and looking for the perspective of people that maybe had not been heard from and that's why I kind of steered away from looking at wrestlers that were backstage or colleagues of his outside, because I knew like Jimmy Corderas had the perspective of, of course he's central to this entire thing. He's right there. And he was a colleague of Owen. So I thought that kind of painted it. And I knew that if I made this about Owen Hart's life and his whole career, this thing could be ours. And I, I, I wanted to stay away from making this all about his life and keep it to that, that, day mainly the day and the fallout uh central to what happened on that day so that led me to just i don't even know how i found the reporter jason king but i ended up just searching for uh any kind of references to kemper arena it was on twitter that i was able to find different people that had spoken about being in the arena that day and then finding jason king who happened to be a reporter on top of that i was like Here's a guy who was in the building and was a reporter. So that's how I found him. And he provided a ton of insight. Paul Lazenby was one I thought of early on because I thought that's unique in that he 
knows the wrestling industry being a former wrestler and is a professional stuntman. So I mm-hmm. thought that's a, an angle that hasn't really been um, tackled and because that's such a huge part of it is the actual uh, material. And I mean, it's, it's interesting because if you read Martha Hart's book, there certainly is a lot of criticism about the type of equipment used. And Paul kind of gives a different perspective, believing that, you know, not firsthand knowledge, but from experts in the field that the, the equipment uh, did not necessarily raise a red flag in, in his opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, obviously Trey Lindstrom is the one that, okay, this, the, the story's crazy. And way was like right here for it. So, Trey Lindstrom, I'm reading Martha Hart's book, which I got this book as a gift in 2002. And I would go to my parents' place and always see this book in the in the basement. So, of course, when I start this project, the book has disappeared. It's not there. And I was like, that is, if you want, like, the most insight, it's that book by Martha Hart, Broken Hearts. And I went over three times to my parents' place. I can't find this book. And I send a, I send the t- the picture of the book to my mom. She goes into the crawl space, and in like the last box, she checks at the end. She finds this book. Wow! And because that book, I was like, man, do I order this book? Is it going to come in enough time? And I mean, ultimately, I probably would have just bought the Kindle edition. I really needed this book. So anyway, my mom found the book. I got it, and reading through it. She just randomly mentions that Owen got driven to the arena by this fan named Trey Lindstrom and happened to name him. And I was like, that's interesting. This is someone no one knows. And he drove him to the arena. And that's all I know. And I'm able to, like, pretty much stalk this guy to try and find him. Uh, I go through. He's not on Twitter. I find him and just send out a message to him. And, hey, hoping that you are this his location is listed as Missouri so I was like okay this this adds up and I reach out to him and it days go by I hear nothing and I'm assuming I'm not going to hear back from him and then I get the message that hey I'd be happy to speak with you and he wanted to talk about Owen so I was like perfect so I line it up for a Friday night to talk to him and I come home and Friday night I usually just like hang out with my wife. But on that night, I was like, I have to go do this interview. No word from this guy. It's like nothing. He like the interview, like the time comes and goes, no word from him. We then the, that was a Friday. Then on the Saturday, we had tried to reschedule. He explained like the St. Louis blues were playing and he's like, (laughs) he's an autograph junkie. So Mm. it's a big thing. So the Saturday we reschedule it, the time comes and goes, and you were coming over that day to do the Wrestling Dontaku review. Uh, am I rambling here? I Not at I'm, all. Okay. No, this is uh, Interrupt me if you need to. Yeah. So Dontaku's happening, and I think I explained to you that this interview, it's, it's happened twice. The guy is not showing up, and I'm just looking at it from, you know, it's probably not going to make or break this documentary if I have this guy that drove Owen to the arena. I mean, how much is he really going to have? And then you and I are literally in the midst of doing this Dontaku review. And I think we were going to record something else afterwards. As I recall, we were doing two shows that day. Mm -hmm. So he messages me and says, sorry, I missed it. Do you still need me? And I, I can't tell you how close I was to saying it's cool. I was just like, We've missed it twice already. I've got a lot to record with you today. 
But I asked you, I was like, is it cool if I just take 15 minutes to interview this guy? Way is like, yeah, ab- absolutely. So I say, hey, we've got a gap of like 20 minutes in between recordings because you want to upload the Dontaku show. I said, I've got 20 minutes and we can do it at this time. I end up getting him on the line and Wei is sitting here as I'm doing this interview and I'm trying to, because con- Wei cannot hear him. He can only hear my questions. And I'm like, dude, if you could hear what I'm hearing right now, he's giving me stories and insight that I have never heard. And it is stuff that I'm just like trying to process in my head of like these things added up to me. And it was, you know, it's his perspective that not just did he drive him, but he spent the whole day with him, which I had no idea of. I'm thinking like, here's a guy that picked him up at the airport, drove him to the arena. And that was it. And it's going to be, you know, not a, it was like, you got all these details out of him. So Man, it was a big lesson to me that, yeah, sometimes it can be difficult to pin people down. They've got their lives going on. Man, just always do the interview. Like, it was so close to me just not doing it. Because, like, I was right. I had done all my interviews. He was the last one. And I wanted to start editing that Monday. And I was just like, "There's, there's no time. I just, I had set out on the Friday. It didn't happen. Saturday morning didn't happen. But the third try, we got him. And you, you could argue like he's, you know, I'm no argument. He was vital to this. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought him coupled with, you know, Jimmy's firsthand account, like Jimmy, I almost again. didn't ask because I thought it was going to be, I thought I was asking way too much of someone I consider a friend and I didn't know how much he would want to speak about it. And I was very hesitant to ask him. But when I, when I, when I committed to doing this project, I was like, I really do need him in this. And he was, he was very open. He came over here and we ended up chatting for like a half hour. And I really appreciated him talking about it because I, obviously it's a very traumatic issue that, you know, he still deals with today. So, um, was that, was that everybody? I think that was. Um, and Heath McCoy was someone that I really wanted from the Calgary perspective. If you haven't read his book, pain and passion, like it's, it's the most definitive book on stampede wrestling and the Hart family that's out there. So Heath McCoy was another media member, but outside of the arena, but back in Calgary where he was, he was there at the Hart house the next day and at the funeral and, you know, covering it from a local perspective of where the Hart family and all of the, the public infighting that took place afterwards, like he was kind of front and center for as well. So those were kind of the, the ideas. There were others I wanted. There was one in the end that uh, just uh, did not hear back from that. Anyway, uh, like someone that had worked with WWE at the time. So I think I got everyone I wanted, certainly for a piece like this, like there's probably a dozen other people I, I could have spoken to, but um, in this time period, you did have to kind of cap it at a, at a certain number. And these to me were voices that I thought were really important to have. Mm-hmm. At what point in, in the whole process did you feel like, you know, this was something like that was going to be pretty special? I thought at the be- I knew from the beginning, like the, my, my first, cause like you're doing these interviews and as I'm doing the interviews, like I'm thinking in my head, how is this going to fit? And trying to cover as many bases as possible. Like I didn't want too much of everyone talking about one specific thing and spread out the the talking points. But I knew I wanted to start with that Jim Ross clip because I think it's pretty impactful of him. Um, he, he shared that story several times about getting the countdown, mm-hmm. which I think is shocking that that's such a memorable announcement. 
and harrowing. And to know that he's given the Owen update seconds before he has to deliver that is is just shocking. Um, but I, I guess on the Monday, like I knew from the interviews, the interviews were fantastic. So it was uh, it was really daunting on that Monday that I started editing because I knew I had great stuff here. And now it's on me to make it um, to make it hopefully come across really impactful and I guess by the end of the Tuesday that's when I I at least was at ease that I felt like okay this is at bare minimum I think this is really compelling content and tells kind of the narrative story in a pretty cohesive way Uh, but now I have to add certain clips and music and stuff like that so the Tuesday was when I was like less stressed than the Monday that I was just um, it was just overwhelming and at least in t- this type of medium like i i can't really recall that too much that's out there that that kind of you know dives this deep into the events of that evening um did you coming out of it did you have like a new perspective on everything how do you feel about the whole situation right now i think that there's certainly um elements of it that i i look at like i always have believed the same point that that Merrick brought up about this being a crime scene. I thought that that it, I have never gone back to um, go through that over the edge pay-per-view until putting this together. And I knew of the fact that that blood is on the canvas. It's something I didn't notice that night, but in subsequent years that's been brought up, but to actually see it, it was shocking for me. Mm -hmm. It was shocking to me that this event went on where the his blood is literally right there on the canvas for you to see. Um, they have edited all the Owen footage off of the show, but that's that's there. And I mean, that part to me is is something really hard to reconcile. And it's not even um, so much as like to me, the power of that decision should have been taken out of the WWF's hands. Like this is no longer a WWF promoted event. It's a crime scene. Everyone goes home. I really don't believe the theory that there would have been a riot if the show had been canceled. Um, I, I just don't think that really is something that would have bore itself out. So that is uh, certainly concerning. Um, and I guess just if I've always, it's always been said like Owen's reluctance to do this stunt. And I think Trey really conveys that fact of just in real time, what this guy was thinking and trying to avoid doing the rehearsals. Like this was someone that did not want to do this stunt but was not enough that he was going to put his foot down and refuse. And I, I think it's it's just that much more tragic. And the the elements of the fact that like Max Mini could have been part of this mm-hmm. as well. That is, you know, it was brought up in Martha Hart's book. And but I still I still think there's a lot of details of the case that people are maybe not familiar with. That hopefully that this sheds some light. But I think there's a lot of material out there and other people's perspectives that this is hopefully just a small piece that contributes to the larger story. Let's go to the forum. Uh, a lot of people have some uh, questions for you about the documentary. So we go to Brandon from Oshawa who asks, uh, was there someone you wanted to interview? You, you mentioned that you did. Um, but most of the people you got, right? Yeah. Uh, I can say I, I did uh, request Martha Hart and it was told that I, I, it wasn't that she didn't want to talk to me, just that I, I spoke to someone close to her and said, if, if she does want to participate, she'll be in contact with you. I didn't hear from her. And I, I completely understand that as well. And I think if, 
Martha Hart's also involved in a, an actual uh, video documentary that they're working on on Owen Hart as well. And I mean, you can read her book as well for her perspective. So I did I didn't invite her to come on, but I also I did know obviously Martha's uh, perspective. It is out there, and from some of the people I interviewed, I did want to talk with people that were very close to this that. Uh, had not really been heard from as well. We're also taking your phone calls if you guys want to chime in uh, as well, those of you watching live right now in the chat room. So uh, just grab that phone number in the description and uh, give us a call anytime. We go to Chris from Carlisle, England, who says, first, thank you for the excellent show. There are some very interesting stories that come out of it. One that caught me off guard was Jeff Merrick's story of talking to Honky Talk Man that night with him saying it was a work. Have you had any similar experiences over the years when talking to a wrestler? Also, who was the hardest interview for you to get, and was there anything you found out about that day that surprised you? The first one. Um, yeah, did you have any experiences with people? I mean, certainly after the fact, I don't know how many people would come out and, you know. No, I mean, like, that's talk just. about that. I, I think it's less so with this generation than the preceding ones that it's just the the fear of being worked is something that these wrestlers are absolutely attached to. And. You know, we, we just saw it like to a lesser extent uh, with, with Scott Hall in Montreal. And I think it ultimately comes down to you never want to be worked because then you're one of the fans. And it's almost like this fear of the perception among your fellow workers versus your perception to the outside world where you just become so um, detached. And mm-hmm. like, I understand that thinking that like your natural, someone's inclination, um, that closely removed from the incident is like that's that was honky tonk man's way of thinking and you know everyone wishes it was a work but it, it wasn't but i mean that mentality existed and it it still exists like you still have that element of professional wrestling where performers i think there there still is that fear of ever being worked and you you, you never want to believe something um and someone that was very close to the Hart family and wayne ferris that mm-hmm. i'm sure that was Something he was clinging to, hoping it was just some terrible angle. As far as hardest interview for you to get and what surprised you about the day, I, I imagine most of those would be from the Trey interview. Certainly, Trey was the one that I came away with, like not expecting anything close to what I got out mm-hmm. of him. And and the level of detail he was able to go into. And um, I'll, I'll mention that we are going to be releasing all the interviews. We're going to start by releasing the Jimmy Corderas interview on Monday. Uh, those are going to be on the Post Wrestling Cafe. So starting Monday, we'll put up Jimmy Corderas. And with Trey, it's about a 25-minute conversation altogether. And there's a lot in there that I couldn't include um, just for time constraints. I wanted this thing to be around 25, 30 minutes. So it, it comes in at like 48, which I thought was the high end of where I wanted it to be um, once you're getting to, to that length and what was the most important aspects of the story to include. We got a Chris from uh, Down Under who says, you mentioned that Owen was scheduled to win the IC title that night from The Godfather. I know most of these are just what ifs, but do you know of any other possible plans that were discussed for Owen going forward before this accident? King of the Ring, SummerSlam, or even WrestleMania? I, I don't think any uh, solid plans beyond that other than he was going to win the Intercontinental title that night. And if you remember, it ends up Godfather ends up dropping the title to Jeff Jarrett um, afterwards instead. Um, afterwards, it was the the Tuesday because this was at the time when Raw was not live every Monday. So people forget the talent had to do that that 
Raw is Owen show Monday, and then they had to tape TV on Tuesday mm. um, on top of that. And then the following Monday is the funeral, and that's why so much of the talent could go on the Monday because Raw was taped that week. Um, it didn't go live every week until uh, the edition of SmackDown later that summer. But mm-hmm. uh, nothing about uh, further plans, but you have to wonder as well. Like Owen had two years left on his contract, and he, to me, would have so seamlessly transitioned into where the WWF was going in 2000 when you're talking about a roster that includes Jericho, Benoit, Angle is on the rise. You have Edge and Christian, the Radicals, um, that it was becoming a much more work-heavy promotion that Owen would have thrived in that environment. And in 1999, that was not the case. And hence, he found himself in this comedy role. Let's get to our first call, and it's from Hanzi. Hanzi, are you there? Yes, what's going on? Hey, Hansi, thanks for the call. Yeah, no problem. Yo, listen, uh, Pollock, I want to give you uh, props for the documentary. I listened to it. Thank you. It was a very good doc. It was a very good documentary. Um, I-, I just want to touch upon with the own heart stuff because um, I remember watching this pay per view with like my friends, right? And um, like I was, I'm, o- I've always been an own heart supporter, right? I always thought, like, even like when I was like, you know, uh, like becoming a smart mark on the internet during that time, I was, like, kind of pissed that he wasn't being used seriously. But because, like, he was so good at what, like, anything that they threw at him, he would always bounce back with, right? And uh, I thought he did an entertaining job. Like, I remember specifically the promo before he was supposed to come out, me and my friends were, like, laughing our asses off because he's, like, he was, he was mocking Hulk Hogan, like, say your prayers and all of that type of thing. And I go, yo, this is, yo, I go, own heart's fucking awesome, whatever. And uh, and then I go and I go get I go get snacks, all right? I'm up there for, like, five to, to like, seven minutes or so. I come back down, like, you know, happy to see what own heart's going to do next or whatever. You know, I hope he's winning the Intercontinental title. And then all of a sudden, my brother tells me, he's like, yo, uh, something happened to own heart. And I'm like, you know, and because like a lot of my friends, we have like a sick sense of humor, right? I thought they were just playing a fucking joke on me. And I, I, I go, you know, you guys are fucking just pulling my leg, right? And then uh, lo and behold, you know, more details come out. I remember it just sucked the whole, it sucked the whole energy out of the whole evening. Like none of us even cared about like the title switch. Because Austin lost the title that night too, right? No one even, I, I didn't even care. I remember it was weird because... I like back then, like you know how like more like now you're like if you're emotional about something, it's a little bit more embraced in this era. Back then, I was afraid of like uh, showing emotion that like someone died because like I don't I didn't know who I didn't, I didn't know him personally, so why should I care? Like that was the mentality between people at the time, and I remember just like not wanting to go to school on Tuesday because it was like you said it was like long weekend. I remember I stayed up. Monday night, because for some reason, Raw that night wasn't playing live for some reason. I think something else was coming on, so it came on at midnight. And mm-hmm. I remember when I saw Mark Henry cry uh, during that, you know, the bell salute. I remember I, I like, lo- I, like, lost it. And it was, like, one of the most, like, you know, it was, like, what, it, 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 like, it really, like, harpened on, like, it really killed some of my fandom for a bit. You know what I mean? We all debated should the show have gone on. And just like you, Paul, like I, I was listening to the law at one AM as well that time. I, that's like the I was like the only Canadian show that would like have wrestling coverage. And I just wanted to uh share my memories with that because like I, I, I know that like 
it's really hard to like process of of uh, you know the whole accident and all that, and I'm still com- perplexed about it 20 years later. But I, I want to thank you guys for letting me come on and just you know um, l- letting me tell you tell you my memories about all that stuff. Oh well, thanks a lot, Hansi. We we appreciate uh, sharing that with us. Yeah, no problem, man. Take it easy, guys. Thanks, Hansi. Uh, we continue with some of these questions where Jake pretty much uh, asked the the question you just answered about how long you think Owen would have stayed. He would have fit in well with Benoit, Jer- Jericho, Guerrero. Um, if you go, um, I think that uh, Greg Oliver did an interview with Owen Hart in the at the end of the year. It was an um, online interview that I found after the fact. I, I think that uh, Pro Wrestling Stories uh, wrote about it with, with quotes from Owen. And he gives like a pretty detailed outline. Like once his contract is up, he was done. Like he was pretty adamant about that. Now, the other side of that is that many wrestlers say that. And if he's looking at, um, you know, uh, an extended contract and maybe in 2001, he is much more high on professional wrestling than he was in 1999. He was, you know, he did not, um, he didn't really agree with the, the direction the company went, even as successful as it was in 2001. Maybe that's a different perspective when it's uh, if he's having a great time working with those people and a six figure downside is very enticing to go. He was he died at 34, so he would have been 36 when his contract was up. Uh, that's really young to walk away. But he was pretty adamant at the time that that was going to be it for him after his two year deal was up. He he talked about retirement and not going to the competition because there would have been no competition. His idea was point. like he wanted to be a firefighter. He wanted to go back home and he wanted to be. He said in the story about just wanting to be with his family and make enough. They were going to be moving into this new home uh, later, right after the the pay-per-view and making enough so that he could retire early and be home. And whether that would have happened or not, there's, there's no way of knowing, but that was his thinking at, in 1999. He also asked uh, Jake, what were some of your favorite Owen Hart matches? Oh, uh, there was a lot of them. Obviously there was the ones with Brett that uh, I think everyone points to the WrestleMania 10 match that really made him, I always go back to the the, the match in uh, Berlin with the British Bulldog to crown the first European champion. That was an excellent match. You could certainly go through the Stampede matches and look at here was someone that you knew was going to be an enormous star, um, just doing things that and the level of experience he had as he got into the industry and how quickly he matured into a tremendous talent. I think that was evident if you were watching Stampede at the time and. I think even the the Shawn Michaels program he had uh, towards the end of 1995, and then there's an, a great pay-per-view match with Owen and Shawn right before WrestleMania 12 at the February 96 In Your House pay-per-view. But th- there were a lot. Uh, during that, that stretch from 94 through 97, I would say, where you could just mix and match some of those guys, like with Owen and Bulldog and Shawn and Brett, and it was... Uh, outstanding. My memories of Owen weren't even necessarily as much for, for the matches as much as they were for his character performances. And I think back to you know that Bob Backlund Bret Hart match where it was his performance along with uh, their mother Martha Hart or, or sorry Helen Hart Helen who Hart. who just like made that whole thing so compelling to the point where you really felt something uh, seeing Bob Backlund win the WWF title from Bret Hart. Um, I think, you know, his His promos were, I think, I think much like Brett, very underrated at the time that they didn't get a ton of um, 
praise at the time, but he was, I always thought he was just, he had a great comedic element to him. And, you know, it's, it's sad that we go back to that final promo that, that aired that night, but he's talking about the say your prayers, drink your milk and making my blue blood boil. And I mean, you can watch that promo and certainly see a lot of that in the Kurt Angle character. That sure. I don't know if there was a necessarily an influence there, like right down to the milk incorporation. But yeah. I thought a very similar um, comedic style as the the early Kurt Angle character. But but you know, beyond the comedy, I think as a as a heel, like I thought he played jealous brother. Oh, when he perfectly. turns when he kicks out Brett's leg, kick yes. your knee from out of your knee. That's right. And. Uh, but- you know, the, that whiny, like, you know, brother who feels like he never had what, what he had because he's been overshadowed. I thought he played it so well and was a perfect addition to, you know, Brett's run at that time as, as WWE champion. Yeah. And I know that the the role was originally earmarked for Bruce, but I just I can't imagine it, it being be as effective as Owen and, and the dynamic of the younger brother as opposed to uh, uh, with Bruce and Brett. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, our next question comes from Rocket King, who says, were there any interesting comments or stories that you left out because they didn't fit the overall narrative that you're working towards? It, there, there's lots of stuff that I just, I, I couldn't fit everything in. Um, you know, in in the Trey interview that you'll hear, uh, he talks about me, uh, meeting with Brett um, months after Owen's death and the two of them, uh, yeah, meeting backstage at a WCW event. Um, so, um Trey was definitely like, it's not as though he, the Hart family was not aware of him. Um, as he mentions in the interview, he did receive, he, he did speak with one of the lawyers out of Calgary and was told if there is a trial that he would be subpoenaed. But to the best of my knowledge, he was not deposed. And I, I but he is mentioned in Martha Hart's book. So that's uh, obviously he was someone that they were familiar with. There's a lot of stuff in the Trey interview. Um, with with Jimmy, there's, you know, a lot of, uh, I think, like, the main stuff from that night, uh, I included quite a bit of that. But there's also um, added stuff just about, uh, there's a there's a really funny story that Jimmy includes about uh, a dark match involving Owen, that uh, something lighter uh, from there. But, yeah, I mean, each interview is probably 25 to, to 30 minutes. So it was just trying to keep it to a reasonable time. And what was the most important stuff, uh, I did have to cut quite a bit out. We got a Bruce who says, thanks very much for doing such a great job with this, John. It was tough enough flashing back to that day as a fan who was watching, and I can't imagine how difficult talking about this must have been for the interview subjects, though as Cordero said, maybe it helps as well. In terms of choosing and editing subjects and quotes, what were your guiding principles and concerns? As is alluded to in the piece, there was a lot of very tasteless media coverage in the wake of Owen's death, and I imagine trying to keep the piece from seeming ghoulish or exploitative is while still getting at deeper truths and issues was a tough balance to strike. Yeah. And it was something I was very uh, concerned with going in. I did not want to make this come across as something uh, tacky or exploitive at all. Um, I understand those that don't want to listen to this because of what it um, conjures up. If you lived through this, if you were watching that night, I totally understand that. I, at the same time, I do think it's a really important news story that, should have attention. So I, I, it's the compliments I've gotten that have meant the most are the ones who have pointed that out, that they never felt it was sensationalistic or just trying to uh, shock people. That was certainly not the intent. It was to go back and tell the story and 
hear from as many different perspectives as possible. What happened here? What went wrong? And get people's first person perspectives on it and do so in a in as respectful a way as you're going to get of a very, very heavy topic. Finally, we go to Tony, uh, who says, thank you. Great work. It made for one of my more emotional dog walking experiences. Says, even though the product was hot at the time, after Over the Edge 1999, did you perceive, as I did, that many more people were taking a morbid curiosity in WWF and ended up sticking with it? And do you know if this had any significant impact in WWF's ratings overall? It had no impact on their business. They grew to have their biggest year the next year and then the biggest one after that in you know 2000 2001 where they hit that 456 million dollar revenue year business was not affected by this um it was um i think everything was kind of watched under um a, a microscope after that and whether you can um whether you can say it's being overly critical or not like i remember the very next pay-per-view they did an angle with Ken Shamrock where he's suffering internal bleeding. And, you know, if this were just any other pay-per-view, you wouldn't think twice about it. But four weeks after the last time you were on pay-per-view, uh, just to see that, like, it rubbed me the wrong way. That here, and there's always going to be kind of that sensitivity, I think, so close to uh, a, a death like that in a promotion that is distributing you know simulated combat and violence um but mm. yeah i would say they received a lot of media scrutiny and i think a, a lot of it deserved and people wanting to get to the bottom of of what happened here um i i think that there's i, I think that there's valid criticism i think that there's also invalid criticism and some of the media coverage at the time was I think it was very different than it would have been today where I think wrestling was still like this sideshow. I mean, one of the things that uh, stands out was, you know, Craig Kilborn incorporating Owen Hart's death into his monologue that week and mm -hmm. making like just a terrible joke about his death. And like, I just don't think that would, that would ever, it didn't fly then to be honest. It's not like um, today it would, but it, it didn't either. Like that was a lot of backlash too. Coming out of you know this this week, where it feels like a lot of people are talking about the 20th anniversary of Owen's death, do you see, you know, um, I guess uh, more more content investigating everything that happened tonight to come out in the future? Uh, specific to this case, yes. I do, I don't think so. I don't think that there's going to be really like ultimately the family settled with with WWF and I, I don't think you can necessarily go back and and revisit it from a from a like a civil suit uh, perspective um I, I think that this this week if nothing else I think it's brought more light to some of the specific details and uh, I haven't had a chance yet to hear uh Jim Ross's show uh, with Conrad this week because I'm certain that was a very difficult show for Jim Ross to to put together this week uh I know that uh Chris Jericho has apparently a great show coming out with Dave Meltzer uh, and David Bixenspan just wrote a fantastic article on Deadspin getting into like the specific details of what happened. And I think that that's always, I've always had the belief of just, you know, having all the details available to everybody and you can draw your own conclusions, but getting as much out to the public so that it's in plain sight for everyone to see the specifics and then form a rational decision on, on what happened and draw your own conclusions. But I, I think that that's the positive is that I think there's more details out this week. Um, even though it took 20 years maybe to go back and really examine this really thoroughly that a lot of people have done. 
Let's go to another phone call. Uh, caller, what's what's on your mind? A lot of things, man. How are you? Is this Brandon? Hey, how are you, man? Great I'm to see you. Doing very well. Hey, Brandon, are you in Las Vegas? No. Oh, you're not. <laughs> oh. I have to work. That. I have to work. I have to work. I could go out there to sleep. No way. What's on your mind, Brandon? What would you like to chat about? Uh, I'm just curious. Why are you trying to edit me out, Clay? What's your problem? When did I edit you out? You were soliciting people to edit the, uh, the highest bidder. Like, like you're a mercenary to edit me out of, 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 of your show. What are you talking horrible. about? Horrible. No, way, way, way oh, is man. a way is a closet supporter of Brandon from New Jersey. He he plays this role, but he deep down loves your calls. His face lights up when he sees uh, your area coach show up. I have no up. idea what you're talking about. I actually don't know what you're talking about exactly. <laughs> what, at what point did did I edit? I thought that I never mind. It's too much red tape to go back in time and, and, and okay. present the evidence. Okay. Uh, uh, what else is on your mind, Bryn? I got nothing. I'll, I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you, Brandon. It's always great to hear from you. Okay. Thank you, Brandon. Always nice to hear from the man. Um, at this point, should we go to uh, Damien Abraham? I think so. Yeah, let's hear from Damien. We've uh, we've gone pretty long. I didn't think we'd be talking about this uh, for for so long. But uh, thanks for all the questions. Uh, yeah, yeah, appreciate Thank it, everybody. Uh, so yeah, uh, this is a re- going to be a recurring segment that we do here uh, every single week after an airing of the wrestlers on Viceland, which seems to to have been, been very positively received. Um, I am currently unaware, uh, uh, you know, as to whether or not this these episodes will air on Viceland dot com itself but if dark side of the ring is any indication i would go and check but um yeah damien abraham will magically appear in this room right now and we will come back can we play a game first okay sure this interview is going to end and it might time out this is the most nerdy thing when his interview ends the rating is probably going to come out right around that time what from viceland yeah wow okay well we'll have, you have a specific time of when that thing will come out uh it's going to be really close to when this interview ends. So the last episode of Dark Side of the Ring last week did, I believe, 200,000 viewers. Can you predict how many viewers for episode one? I I, I don't want to do that. I, I mean, do. I, okay. Okay, I'm going to make my prediction. You don't have to. I'm going to say for week one, I'm going to predict. Oh, man, because if, if it ends up being lower than my prediction. That's it. That's the, that's the, that's the game. Either way, I lose here. Damien's going to be upset. Yeah. Um, I'm going to predict... 165,000 viewers. Wow, less. I think it's a brand new series. Okay. I think it, it stands a chance to, 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 to retain the, the same audience, but okay. Well, we, we shall see. Okay. Um, so we will, if we have a number, we'll, uh, we'll report it at the end of this. So just to let, let people know, this episode of The Wrestlers was dealing with uh, Gabe Sapolsky and uh, specifically... Totally different Evolve locker room. I yeah. mean, minus, I mean, Fred yehai has gone. Austin Theory is still there. Ethan Page is gone. Uh, you had yeah. Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish in the mix. Yeah. Zack Sabre Jr. But this was, I mean, this uh, Drew McIntyre is there in the Evolve locker room. So two years ago, uh, heavily focused on Evolve. 
heavily focused on involved in the series itself for people who haven't seen it yet um i i like to describe it to people as almost like sort of like an anthony bourdain type of show mm -hmm. where uh damien is your host in trying to navigate throughout the world the different scenes of professional wrestling and he starts off uh domestically at least for for this uh, edition uh sticking with america and uh, a very prominent independent wrestling promotion in evolve wrestling so here we are talking about this particular episode of the wrestlers enjoy in studio with us, he is the host of The Wrestlers, which premiered Wednesday night on Viceland. He is Damian Abraham, our good friend. I don't want to pat myself too much on the back, but I think Wayne and I will. Uh, we are the reason this series got on the air, let's be honest. And, and I think Damian... Uh, You're ridiculous. You're in the You're stew. You're welcome. You're in the stew, John. I, I'm not, I'm not going to deny you that credit. There's definitely... You know, it's, it's wild to when think... everyone gave up, we did not dig <laughs> No, you definitely... No, that's true. You believed in it. But I mean, like... Even like I was thinking about it today, like, you know, there's just so much stuff that through obviously the old incarnation um, and into post wrestling. But you like could, you could say the law. Well, everyone dances around it except for me and Way. Who you don't want to give airtime and oxygen to the old brand. I don't but, understand okay. what that even means. The law, the law, because the law might come back and everyone's going to be like, listen, like, were you not later. in a band prior to fucked up? Would you not bring I don't, up I don't, the band's name? No, no, no. I don't talk about you're in trouble at all. Fuck. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think uh, definitely like the stuff I was being introduced to. I was thinking about it today, like, you know, Dave Lagana coming on and talking to you about his new podcast that he was starting. Court Bauer coming on, talking about his new podcast that he was starting. Uh, I, I remember uh, Cole Cabana even came on, uh, I think even before the first Art of Wrestling to talk about how he had this podcast about to drop. Because you guys had done a lot of stuff with him over the years. So there's just so many people that... You know, I would wind up, you know, interacting with or through their podcast, finding about other people that would become key parts of the series. So, yeah, no, you're you guys are 100 percent in in full credit for getting me a start on. This All right. My, head, my head's getting too big. So we got to we got to mellow it out a bit. <laughs> uh, so Damien, for those that are not familiar, Damien's going to be joining us each week here on the Hangout following the preceding night's edition of The Wrestlers yeah. to kind of give us some further insight into the episodes that now everyone has had a chance to see uh, kicking off with the first episode, the best new talent in America. And the very first shot is you in Orlando. This is WrestleMania weekend 2017. And this is a show we all went to. Yeah, you us. guys were there. Yeah, I remember running the one into where way left midway through to go sleep in the car, to sleep in the car. I remember running into you. And I think it was even before the main event of this show, which is certainly the thing that we kind of start. Yeah, didn't you warn me that they were going to be doing some crazy stuff? Yeah, like I remember walking in. We had like, we, I guess like to start off with how this episode kind of came together. Um, I've been friends with Gabe. Once again, probably heard him first on <laughs> you interviewing him years ago okay, about Ring of Honor. Us. No, but I remember I remember hearing him on Ring of Honor. I remember getting introduced to him somehow, and then it was actually probably through John's impression. Yeah, well, no, it was before John's impression because I when yeah. I I remember when John did the impression for the first time, exploding in laughter, being like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's pretty spot on." Um, but uh, I'd become kind of familiar with Gabe, or like introduced to Gabe through uh, Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson had hit me up years ago to do a, a song. Two names. Well, these, how am I going to do the thing without name drops, nah, I'm guys? joking. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> but he, uh, he hit me up years ago, and he wanted Fucked Up to do entrance music. Um, and we've talked about this before on the show. And then he, at a certain point, was like, oh, my friend Gabe Sapolsky, who was the booker of Ring of Honor, who's gone now, he's going to start this new wrestling company, and he wants to talk to you about doing something with Fucked Up. So that's how Gabe and I got introduced to each other. And then over the years, I found out he was a massive Neurosis fan, and we just kind of became friends. So we knew going in we were going to do something about Evolve, uh, I, we just didn't even know what wrestlers at this point. Like we knew Austin Theory was someone we definitely wanted to talk about. 
Um, and then we kind of knew Fred Yehi was someone we wanted to talk about. We thought we were going to be doing something about Matt Riddle, maybe Keith Lee even. Like this roster is loaded. loaded. In 2017, Riddle, Drew Galloway, Keith Lee. This is when Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fischer in there for, for a cup of coffee. Donovan Dijak's still there. Zack Sabre Jr. is doing mm-hmm. dates. I mean, Leo this, Rush. Leo Rush. This was two years ago. Yeah. It's, it's when you think about this locker room, like, you know, obviously there's that ring of honor locker room where you've got Samoa Joe, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, like you've got like that locker room. But after that, I'm going to put this locker room up against any other locker room as far as like, you know, potential stars and people that went on to become, you know, the, or will go on, I think, to become like the next stars in pro wrestling. And, and is this... This this predates Gabe having his official role yeah. in WWE. Yeah, there's no way Gabe would do this thing now. <laughs> no, there's not there's a chance. No, not that, a chance. That he would be doing it at the time. But I thought this was this was probably the most in depth look you get at Gabe Sapolsky, and clearly that is his you know affinity for you as well mm-hmm. that he has to allow cameras into his home around his family. You hear from his parents mm-hmm. with his child. I mean, he was really open about uh, himself that I'm sure many people would have never seen that that side of Gabe Sapolsky's life. Like here, here's a father, uh, a son, a husband. And that's, you know, Gabe Sapolsky. You just think, you know, wrestling Booker. I know. And it's funny because like you go into his place and, and, and it, that scene got cut way down in the show. But when you go into his place, all you see is art from his child, like tons of art from his kid. And his kid's amazing. Right. Uh, but then you also just see neurosis stuff like neurosis memorabilia. Like you see like tour posters, like weird ceramic busts of the neurosis neurot record label logo on the wall. And then no wrestling things like maybe like five things that have any reference to professional wrestling. And it's kind of like buried away. And it's, it's just like, he's, you know, wrestling is who he is, right? Like that's when you talk to him about wrestling and how he thinks about wrestling, that that's who he is. But you know, he completely leaves that behind when he goes home and just becomes a neurosis fan. Like he's like a deadhead for neurosis. Like you go through his record collection, it's just neurosis, 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 then one Radiohead, one Buzz Oven record, and then a bunch more neurosis stuff. Mixed I, in with a, a picture of Terry Funk on the wall and a Sabu con- <laughs> merchandising contract. And the and the Dragon Gate USA title. That's uh, right. Yes. It he uh it's funny because we got we got neurosis to have a song in the episode because Scott Kelly's like a you know, well you've we've hung out with Scott way a massive, massive pro wrestling fan. And Neurosis is a band that never, never licenses music for TV. They don't really play that game. But because it was Gabe Sapolsky and because he's such a massive fan of Gabe as a wrestling booker, he was like, oh yeah, we definitely will give you Souls at Zero. So when that song's playing in the beginning with Gabe walking down the hallway, that's a Neurosis song. And that's the proudest moment of the whole series for me. All in all, how long would you say this episode took to film? Um... This one actually was probably the most uh, it's like two compact. weekends of shows. Yeah, it was two weekends of shows because we did that definitely the, the the Florida weekend, and, and then several weeks later is the shovel match. Right? Yeah, 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 you can actually see Darby Allen's bump that he gets during that first match with Ethan Page, kind of receding as the episode goes on. You know, uh, he and then we then we followed them back down the coast. You know, like that's when we meet up with Darby and he's got his arm all cast up in Florida. We actually went down the coast. Like when you see me <laughs> driving with them. That was like a 22-hour drive from New Jersey to Atlanta. And I've been on tour in a Jeez. band for, for a long time, right? That was the most harrowing drive experience I've ever been on. Like, it was insane. Like, Give us a story. Well, there's, there's just so many. Like, we, we get into the van, and the first thing they're like, well, because everyone's a wrestler, right? And you got to shower after you 
you've done. Are they guarded around you at the beginning or are they pretty open from the get go? It it was one of the less guarded kind of situation I've been. Like I knew a couple of these people going in, like I found it very different than CZW where CZW, I was going in cold. Also CZW's locker room is a little bit different than Evolve was at this point, but they were all pretty open, like right away. Do you think vice helps with that? Knowing that this is a reputable outlet, that it's not, you know, DamienAbraham.com, who, yeah. where, where's this going? Yeah, definitely. I think, and also it, it varies place you go. Yeah. Right. Like oh, I've definitely experienced it. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, and it, and I think it varies in countries you go to, like later on when we talk about some of the other locker rooms we went into, we just were straight up not allowed in locker rooms. Like we were told, like, if we catch you in here, we will smash your camera and break your face. Oh yeah. Like, like there's the one, t- like Chris Dickinson, even like, you yeah. know, here it is 2017 and Gabe's going over like the, what's happening in the match. It's like, guys are still kind of uneasy about that, yeah. that stuff. Even, you know, regardless of when you came up in the industry, Mm -hmm. even modern performers like that's that is still like an element that they cling on to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was one of the things that was incredible is how open everyone was with us and like how cool everyone was. And I think I think I can understand why people don't want that to happen. Like they don't want people to see behind the curtain because, you know, it has a tendency to diminish what they're doing. But I think if anything, it gave me more respect for what they're doing, like the amount of of danger involved in everything. Like it's, it's funny in the very first match that we go to, like you see Darby Allen go through all this stuff. He talks about, you know, I think I might be internally bleeding, but it's actually this guy, uh, Sean Burke who caught um, Austin theory when he does a run in. you don't see this in the match, but Austin theory at one point does a run in and does a dive to clear the gatekeepers. And this one guy, Sean Burke caught Austin and caught him a little high and his boot clipped him in the head. And that was Sean's last match. Like he couldn't get cleared. He had a concussion from the boot in the head and they were, and then actually when we went back to Laboom, there's a whole little thing we did with Sean that unfortunately didn't make it into the episode. um, But where we actually saw him at the next match and that was his retirement. He went there to kind of be written off, off TV, off Evolve, Mm. you know, and he was kind of, it was really sad to see like, oh my gosh, like there's someone's career that can be over in an instant. Like it is so dangerous. And I think, seeing behind the curtain gave me even more respect, like to understand like how much thinking on the fly you have to do. Like when Austin is re- or sorry, when, when um, Ethan page is, is wrestling with Darby Allen and they have to pivot. Cause at one point they were going to tape uh, Darby to a chair and he was going to throw Darby around onto this tape chair. And then the tape wouldn't hold onto the chair. So that's when they decide to do that shovel thing. So they hadn't talked through that shovel thing. Cool. And that's when, you know, Darby gets his elbows shattered, like shattered. <laughs> Talk about like the selection process for the subjects in this. Uh, I think for Darby, we Darby was someone we didn't really know. We went to that show and met um, my friend Joshua. Shout out to the Lumber Jew on Instagram. Uh, he recognized me, I think, from the CZW documentary. Okay, and he's like, "Hey, like, what are you doing here?" I'm like, "Oh, we're doing this thing about wrestling." You know, I'm like, you know, "I'm really stoked to see Tracy Williams. I'm really stoked to see all these people." And he's like you got to watch Darby Allen versus Ethan page. And, and I'd seen some Darby Allen stuff, but he was really new. It was within his first year of wrestling. And I knew Ethan page because he was on an incredible episode of the art of wrestling with Colt. And I was like, yeah, he's like, this is going to be the match that's going to blow everyone's mind today. And so it was a great card. There were some incredible matches. You remember it was like Zack Sabre jr. I think versus Keith Lee. And it was an incredible match. There were so many great matches that day in Florida and then when we saw Darby Allen and Ethan Page do this match, we're like, well, we got to talk to these guys. And 
So you hadn't chosen the subjects until that, that time, show. no. Gotcha. And then I think Fred Yehai meeting Fred and and kind those of those scenes at his house were awesome. Awesome. Oh, he's so that is the most underrated guy. Like it's amazing to watch how everyone in this episode has gone on their own path and kind of ascended. I feel so much like Fred Yehai has been ignored by wrestling in a major way because that match he does with Kyle O'Reilly at the Evolve show like yeah I, I remember watching that pay-per-view that night I think we were texting each other about yeah that. we were because yeah. I I think I spotted you yeah. I'm like are you <laughs> at the show I'm watching right now and like yeah I'm, I'm, I'm literally watching your head popping out of the back as yeah. I'm texting with you during the show and yeah it was an excellent match that, it was an incredible match you know it was a short time O'Reilly was in there but yeah you know they like Gabe obviously had really really high hopes for Kyle O'Reilly to be mm-hmm kind of their their signature star for the time that they had him it was funny because we were talking to kyle a lot you know because he was someone that i uh, i I think i met him actually at a live audio wrestling uh roh brunch oh yeah we did uh we did like a a meet and greet with fans and kyle o'reilly was one of the guys who who was with us yeah Yeah. and i rolled with you guys and then we uh, and i met him there and so he and i knew each other and he was telling uh, like he was like i'm here because i'm stuck in contract limbo it was that time where roh had those those contracts where people were were unable to sign to to NXT and stuff because that was after Triple H had talked about Kyle O'Reilly on a conference call and it was kind of like a sure thing that he was going to wind mm-hmm. up there. Drop the ROH title. Drop the ROH title and stuff. The big and, win. And he just was just kind of floating in in limbo at that point. But yeah, put on some incredible matches during that run. Like like you're saying, like it's the best locker room. Dude, what are what are you thinking during the Darby Allen scene with the Mace? That like, is wild. Like that to me, that scene perfectly encompasses Darby Allen. Like this could have been a coming to AEW promo. It's like this yeah. dude's out of his fucking mind. Yeah, he's on another level. He's like a really interesting person to hang out with. A really smart it. person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like not like he's definitely a wrestling fan and he's definitely an athlete. But at the same time, he's also just like this weird straight edge punk kid. That, yeah, when we, because we, we went to every wrestler and we're like, what do you want to do? We want to do something that you want to do today. And like, Austin's like, I want you to film me working out. I want you to film me with my my little brothers. And we're mm. like, okay, sounds great. You know, like that's very reflective of, I guess, who you are. And Darby Allen said, I want you to film me macing my friend. No, he told us he has a game show for us. That was oh, all we knew. A game show. <laughs> and then we, we get in the car and we drive out to this house in Orlando, right? And we're like, do, when we're with two, these two friends and his brother, and they're like, uh, we drive in there and we're like, do you, do you know who lives here? They're like, yeah, our friend does. He's out of town, but he said it's cool that we can shoot here. And it's got this insane skate park in the back. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, our friend's a professional skateboarder. So we're out back there and we're like, what's the game? He's like, "We oh no, we stopped to get supplies. And that's when we found out, like, what's the game? They're like, oh, we're going to try and skate the rail. And whoever doesn't skate the rail, we're going to pepper spray him with this, with this mace. And we're like, that. please don't do that. And the guy's like, no, 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 we're, we're re- we really want to do this. Like Everyone's like, no, we, we really want to do this. This is what we do. And so we're like, okay. So we drive out to the skate park. And it's amazing because then the, the whoever's house this was, their dad came home who actually owned the house. And he's like, what the hell are you doing back there? And we're like, we're filming a documentary about a professional wrestler. He had no idea, like no idea. And it was like a friend they knew through a friend. But eventually the guy's like, okay, yeah, you guys can do it. Just please don't hurt anyone back there. The most exciting thing about pain is videotaping it. And then it lasts forever. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is what a mission oh, statement. It's poetic. I mean, it's th- poetic. This dude like is a really interesting guy. Yeah. And, you know, it's. I, I didn't even realize he w- he was straight edge mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he also obviously like the punk influence that he mentions with, uh, 
an ode to uh, Darby Crash of the Germs. Yep. Who died uh, at the age of 22, yep. Damien, and yep. Gigi Allen. Yep. John, you've done your research, my friend. This is... Uh, Are you kidding? I go, way, of his head. I go way back. We actually have a Darby... We actually sorry, have a Gigi Allen song in the Darby Allen sequence. Oh, wow. Um, I wanted a Germ song, but we, <laughs> we got the Gigi song instead. These are things I wouldn't have noticed unless uh, you bring it up. So I, it, that's really interesting. I didn't want to ruin it for way. It was, oh. it was like one of those things where, um, especially for the first episode, I'm like, because there are so many punk connections. Mm-hmm. And also, I haven't talked about them yet, but like this show... Basically, what this show is is me planning out my dream wrestling vacation and trying to get give myself an overview of global wrestling, and then these brilliant filmmakers, uh, Nathan and Jeff, who you met when we were in Japan yes. way, and and Yuji and and Colin and Sarah and Grady and Katrina, like all these people, these are the people that actually made the show. I just was like the guy. Are you in the editing process at all? Are you being, or, or are you kind of just I, shooting this and then seeing what is? Put I would together? watch the edits and then be like, "Yo, can we have more of this and more of that?" Okay. And then a lot of times they'd be like, "Yeah, let's not do it your way." And then uh, you know, but for the betterment of the show, you know, like I really feel like, and it's so funny because going into this, I'm like, I have to have a crew that knows wrestling because if they don't know wrestling, we're gonna we're gonna get beaten up. We're gonna we're gonna be in so much shit. But these guys had done a documentary about sumo culture. And they had done a wrestling about pinball culture, which are obviously very different, but both are very niche and with their own kind of rules and etiquette. And so everyone on the crew was incredible. Like we never fucked up. Like we never got in trouble for shooting something we weren't supposed to be shooting. You know, as far as like, you know, people without their masks on, I mean, like we never, we like, and it's amazing how open everyone was because these people were such a good group of filmmakers, you know? And so they, in in the process of making this show, they really just sort of like, you know, went to me and were like, what kind of music do you want to have in this? And I'm like, we need to have these bands. And we got them. That's amazing. Just because it's kind of timely with with Silver King's passing over the weekend yeah. and, and the circumstances coming out of that. I mean, obviously nothing as, as, as severe as that. Uh, but you have a situation here where something unexpected happens with, with Darby Allen. And just from you going and not even isolating of all, but different shows you've been at how equipped some of these companies are to deal with something like that. Mm -hmm. You hear Darby here. Can you just drive me? I don't want to be stuck with this ambulance bill. Yeah. And like, these are, you know, it's, it's one thing I I think Canadians, it's, it's very hard for us to really understand that here, your biggest issue here is your, your elbow is shattered and you may be missing X amount of time uh, at your profession to make a living. And he's thinking immediately about the immediate finance of what this elbow is going to cost just to get healed. I mean, did you see a wide variety of like worst case scenario? Somebody is, you know, collapses in the ring. How well are these companies ready to deal with such an incident? The Evolve was ready, you know, like that Darby got hurt and there's like an ambulance there. This is in New a, York, too. In New York. That, that kind of is there's a those measures are in place. Yeah. And there, there was a crew there ready to handle it. Same in Florida, you know, like there was a when Darby got hurt, when Sean got hurt, there were medical people backstage that were ready to handle it. Uh, but the reality is like, there's no insurance They're, these people are, are living and dying by the injuries they suffer in the ring. I don't, I mean, literally, and yeah. I don't mean to mock that, but in some cases, but you know, people are actually like, you know, they can't wrestle if they get injured. Like there's a, you know, once again, it had to be cut because of time. There's a lot of stuff we spent with Darby's brother and Darby's brother works construction. And basically his life is funding Darby's pursuit of becoming a professional wrestler. Cause every time Darby gets hurt. You know, even though Darby's obviously budget conscious, taking cabs to the hospital and things like that, it costs thousands of dollars. And so his brother's like, yeah, when my, when Darby calls me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to fly out and how much you need. And that's, you know, 
to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars now. You know, that elbow, you know, that thinking he's internally bleeding. Like, obviously, there's some coverage from the wrestling company, but not enough. You know, like, you, it falls it, on It is shoulders. a bit of an economic decision when you decide to try and separate yourself from the pack by wrestling a style like Darby Allen does mm-hmm. to stand out versus, you know, take, take your other wrestler that's going to be uh, more conservative than that. And Darby Allen is kind of on the extreme style, but... Mm-hmm. When you don't have a big contract, which, you know, Darby Allen, it's it's kind of a nice story at the end of people that are now up to date, knowing that this guy is now on the precipice of you know, making actual money in the industry. Huge things. Yeah. Look, it's, it's funny, like Joey Janela, I think, is another guy who's got that same sort of style. And like in later episodes, we'll see him um, and just some of the stuff that he does, which is just hellacious. And yeah, it's, it's amazing to kind of look at these wrestlers that have this style. And then you're thinking, well, they're doing it without a safety net. You know, like even when I was doing ridiculous stuff on stage with the band, like never anything close to this, but like bleeding on stage, hitting myself. I had like, Oh, there's Oh hip, you know, <laughs> like if I'm hurt, I, I got it. At least the medical bills covered. Whereas, and you know, when I did get it covered, but these One guys, of these guys takes a bad bump. They're yelling, Oh hip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <bro. laughs> and then it's like, and then it's the drive of 19 hours, you know, like afterwards, like, you know, and to get to the show, like they were, they all drove from Florida. Like, and also 19 hours was a short drive. 22 hours was a short drive. Then they also drove down to Florida afterwards. It's like driving all in. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they're also doing it hurt. They're doing it, you know, they're not stretching out afterwards. Like, you know, you hear so many WWE wrestlers talk about how hard that is on their bodies getting into cars after the show. It's like. The game, the buses. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, there's like 12 of us in this van. Like not everyone had a seatbelt. Like it was, you know, Jeff, our. Poor uh, director, showrunner is like literally squatted in a squatting position oh for god. like 22 hours filming, like sleeping with his eyes open. Oh my god! It's it was nuts. It's insane. It was a crazy drive, and this is actually there's a shot I got to give this guy uh, pay respects to him, but Wayne uh, Van Dyke who died in the ring shortly after we filmed. He there, we did some shooting with him too, but it didn't make the shot show. But there's one part where Austin's walking with his arm around him when we're going to a Cracker Barrel. Um, he did a lot of the drive and he was just running on energy drinks and like pop punk and like it was it was a gnarly drive. Like it was definitely a very, very gnarly drive. Sounds dangerous. Yeah. 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 With, same with bands, same with music people. Like the one thing that they had is a lot of drivers to switch off between. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's not, you know, it's it's not ideal. Do you want to give a quick preview of the next week's uh, episode before we go? Yeah. Next week, we've got the MVP, uh, Life After Wrestling is what we called it. But it's it's basically, or the next generation of wrestling, um, changing face of wrestling, I think is what it ultimately wind up being called. Yes. Uh, and it's kind of looking at, you know, MVP, someone I've talked about a lot on the show. Um, you could probably play a drinking game every time I bring him up when I'm on post-wrestling. Uh, but just look disappointed that a certain British star didn't get his own episode. I know, believe me. I could talk I gave him NXT really messed up plans here. Well I mean, the, potentially. No, well the morning of that show in Orlando, I did go for Brexit breakfast with one. You went for Brexit with him. Brexit. Did, I oh. went for Brexit. See, I got Britain on the mind. <laughs> he told now. you what was happening. He in the told next me. Few years. He's like, mate, you gotta know about this. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh but it's also amazing now to think that Gabe Sapolsky and Robbie Brookside are able to hang out together and talk about neurosis. Or you. Or me. Maybe I come up. Who knows? I don't, you're making me blush now, John. Uh, but next week, we're talking to MVP uh, in his episode. We're going to be talking um, about the changing face of wrestling, too, and guys like Sammy Callahan, Shane Strickland, and sort of this new style that we kind of alluded to here that's coming in and how wrestling has 
has changed. You know, like MVP is someone that at one point was, you know, wrestling in New Japan, wrestling in the upper end of the card in WWE, and now is like looking at wrestling as something that's almost in his rear view and just how it's changed for him versus how he came up in it. And also his unbelievable story about how he came into wrestling, which is unlike anyone else's. So those are airing Wednesday nights on Viceland. Tune into the wrestlers and Damien Abraham. He'll be back next week and we'll chat about the changing face of wrestling. Damien, thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks guys. And that was our good friend, Damien Abraham. How about this technology? It feels like we're, we're back at the, at the radio station. I think we, we really could have just Damn. put the, the wool over everyone's eyes and just uh, completely done that one we, live. We could have we had a hologram walk out of the studio as Damien. <laughs> quick change of clothes right now. What a star this guy is about to become. I, oh, I think Damien's going to lose our numbers real quick. He's going to be, I mean, he was on Busted Open Radio today. Yep. He's getting, you know, he's doing his, his Reddit AMAs. I mean, look at this guy. Hopefully he can stick with us for the duration of this series. There are about 10 episodes. And I was actually just uh, looking up and just informed that uh, if you're in the U.S. at least, you can watch last night's edition of The Wrestlers on Viceland's website, which I believe is viceland.com. Um, no word yet about maybe uh, other other destinations in other countries, but I'm sure you will hear about that. No, Canada got it two years ago. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh, so, but I'm sure you'll hear about it very soon. Maybe we'll even uh, ask Damien specifically on one of these upcoming episodes. So, uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, and check out the these wrestlers. will be great each week to have Damien kind of delve into each episode further. So, mm-hmm. uh, each week on the Cafe Hangout, uh, we will be chatting with uh, Damien Abraham as they. Uh, air these episodes until they go to mid July. There's going to be a new episode each week. And then towards the end, they're going to be, uh, airing two episodes each Wednesday night. So Mm, exciting. Lots Uh, to chat about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, uh, as, as mentioned, MVP is, is the subject of next week's episode. So uh, very curious to, to hear your feedback. Uh, we Let's go to uh, some more phone calls. If you guys have them, uh, just call us at, in, in the phone number at, at the description below or Skype post wrestling. And we start off with Jake. Jake, what's up, man? Hey, guys. Can you guys hear me good? I can hear you perfectly. This week we can. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I sincerely apologize about uh, Money in the Bank. I foolishly used uh, Skype on my phone, but uh, just remember to use uh, Skype on my laptop. So that's all I can say. What did you want to chat about, Jake? Uh, yeah. Uh, first of all, let me just say, um, John, uh, thank you so much uh, for the um, uh, for the Owen documentary. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, really made me feel emotional hearing all the different accounts. Um, accounts and uh yeah and all the great contents that you guys do every week and uh makes me feel proud to be a double double patron and uh really inspires me to uh um studying uh, radio and television so thank you guys so much first of all now well thank you for the support jake we Thanks, really jake. appreciate it appreciate it um so uh first of all i, I actually want to um preview all lead wrestling uh, double or nothing uh, this saturday um you guys are having a live show uh after um the event right a live post show, correct. Thank you for the plug. Yes, available to all Double Double Plus patrons. You can watch us right here on the live stream. The show will be up as a free post show uh, for everybody else afterwards. So thanks, Jake. <laughs> all right, no problem. Um, so, yeah, uh, the match that I'm really looking forward to is um, Omega and Jericho. Uh, very interesting how they're going to um, execute this match. I, I was thinking that uh, because they already had their their first match at Russell kingdom. I was thinking that they, that Jericho uh, would be the one that would go over in this match and have like a, a rubber, a rubber match and have like a trilogy. And I, I noticed that uh, they added a stip there that uh, uh, they're, um, he's um, the winner is going to receive an AEW uh, championship match. And I, I was wondering if, um, mm, I don't know, maybe 
like, like where would you guys go personally uh, if you have the choice? We discussed this a, a little bit on our uh, double uh, double shot this week, where we previewed all, um, you know the card and also uh, talked about a lot of the AEW offerings. But um, it, it poses an interesting uh, idea. I think John and I are somewhat divided. John believes that Kenny, uh, uh, Kenny Omega will be the one winning simply because Chris Jericho is is going to face Kazuchika Okada and most likely lose to Okada at Dominion. I'm more of the belief, now that I think about it, that I think they could have Omega still uh, lose this one, have Jericho win, go forward, and mm. even even lose to Okada. And I don't think AEW at this moment would mind that much. But hard to say, hard to say. You have your <laughs> thought, uh, uh, have your opinion changed at all, John? Uh, no, I think that for this first show, I think that that's the match that 100% should be going on last. And I think that it should, like, this mm. is uh, really, Kenny Omega is the the featured performer on this show. So I would, I would have him win. And I think with AEW, if you do want to make these wins and losses matter, I would not want Jericho winning if the idea is he's losing to Okada in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. And uh, finally, just before I go, uh, don't want to take too much of your time, but I am really excited for um, the weekly show uh, on TNT coming up uh, this fall. And, you know, ironically enough, I already watch a lot of TNT because they that's where they air the NBA games and uh, they air a lot of the, the Marvel movies on TNT as well. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, it, I, but it, as as great as the, the TNT deal is, uh, it's just all about the execution, uh, as you uh, execution of how they're going to present this show. Uh, it, um, there's like there's still a lot of question marks um, from my standpoints. Are they going to be in arenas all over the uh, all over the country um, every week, or are they going to have their own uh, studio, their their own sound stage? No, they're going to be they're going to be touring. Uh, Oh, okay. That's cool. That's yep. cool. <laughs> uh, very, very interesting about that. So yeah, just uh, uh, do you? Th- guys think that uh because they're gonna they're gonna have um, the weekly show does it feel like it's uh, i don't know i i have this back feeling in my end this uh, feeling in the back of my head that uh, it, it might make it a lot less special for the guys in the elites uh uh in your um in your guys opinion the the novelty that they're gonna have you you mean the fact that they're, they'll be appearing so often yes uh, they're trying to do the opposite in that they're they're not going to be doing tons of house shows with the idea that it's there are going to be less matches involving them. Like I I don't expect you're going to see the young bucks wrestling on TV every single week. I think that the idea is your certain stars um, those matches will be uh, spread out more so that they do make a big deal. Like a Chris Jericho, for instance. Like you're not going to see him uh, doing like his matches are going to be limited and therefore mean that much more and even. Uh, to the point of not doing house shows. So when they come to town, it's a big show. Okay. All right. Appreciate it, guys. I hope you, hope you enjoy a double or nothing. And I'm uh, hopefully will as well. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Jake. Thanks, Jake. So we got a bit of a disputed oh, ratings report. We got the rating, yes. So the end. this ended up airing at 10 p.m., correct? I think so. On Wednesday night? Okay. So the fact that you don't know is <laughs> troubling. Uh, so... The, the, here's the, here's the the kind of a dispute is that in the press release they did say uh, ten o'clock with uh, nine o'clock being a re-airing of Dark Side of the Ring. Correct. Uh, but meanwhile, on a lot of the the wrestlers' social media, they list at nine p.m. So so all that's listed here is Dark Side of the Ring at nine p.m. There's okay. no Viceland listing at ten p.m. of what 
it did. So I'm wondering, was this the repeat of Darkseid or is it uh, uh, mislabeled and the 9 p.m. airing was the wrestlers? We'll get to the bottom of it, but what is the number? Well, the dark. It, what's listed here is Dark Side of the Ring on Viceland at 9 p.m. was 111,000 viewers. Okay, so so down, obviously. Yeah, but. which if that's a replay, that's kind of the level you would expect a replay to do for. Right. Um, I just don't. I. But nothing at 10 o'clock. Uh, no, it, it, there's nothing here listed as that. There's nothing listed for Viceland okay. beyond uh, that. So. Don't you worry, we'll get to the bottom of this yeah, at some point. I'll, I'll, I'll find <laughs> out what, what this number is. Uh, so anyway, that is, uh, well, that was a not a big payoff to our Somewhat game. Somewhat anticlimactic, but you know what? We'll delay it until next week. All right. We've spoken for a long time. We're coming up here on almost 90 minutes, so we're going to bid everyone a, a farewell. Way and I are going to be back on Friday. We are going to have a special MCU review for our patrons at postwrestlingcafe.com. It's Avengers Age of Ultron, and that means that the third post-Avenger is joining us. Yeah, we have assembled the powers of our own speedster, our own telekinetic. His name is Nate Milton, and he will be joining us uh, to talk about this. Uh, this movie that I would say a lot of people initially might not have looked back very fondly at, um, but coming out of it, Avengers Endgame... I think we can look back at with a slightly different lens. So we will talk about our experiences rewatching that film after the conclusion of all of these other movies. So join us if you're a fan of a lot of those uh, Marvel movies. And then coming up this weekend, as Way mentioned, Saturday night, you can tune in live for our Double or Nothing post show. Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso members. You can watch the show live and call in with your feedback immediately after the pay-per-view ends. And then the podcast will be up late that night, early Sunday morning. Sunday night, we'll have an interview with Fred Ottman chatting about his his rise as Tugboat, Typhoon, the Shockmaster, and his start uh, wrestling uh, under Boris Malenko and then going to the Florida Territory. So we'll have Fred Ottman on the show. And next week, we're also going to start to roll out the entire interviews that we did for the Owen Hart documentary, starting with Jimmy Corderas. That will be Monday uh, for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Those will be up in full. Wonderful. Thank you all for joining us, uh, whether you're joining us live or listening to this in our archives on Friday. Talk to you guys later. Goodbye.